This podcast is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, check out our website at communitycovenant.net. Good morning, church. Hi, I'm uh, Pastor Brad Bergfalk. I'm the transitional lead pastor here. And I have uh, discovered, after being here for eight months, uh, the two most uh, uh, prominent wildlife in the state. You're laughing. One is the mosquito. And... and, uh, what was, what was wonderful about yesterday is that there was just enough breeze where I live that the mosquitoes weren't around until a little later last night. And the second uh, most prominent wildlife that at least we've seen is the moose. In fact, this morning uh, I didn't see it, but my wife came downstairs and a, a moose was chomping on, on the flowers that were in the flower pot at the base of our stairs. Now, you know, where I come from, we worry about squirrels and woodchucks and things like that, not moose. It's, 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 it's wonderful, and, and I don't know if this guy got his fill or not, uh, but we'll see. The, the sermon series that we find ourselves in right now is, uh, and, it's, and it's almost coming to the end, is called Exponential, the whole church on a whole mission to the whole world. And probably by now you're beginning to get this idea that this mission that God has called us to, both collectively and as individuals, is not just something that we do once in a while. It's not something that we kind of give a tip of the hat to when we're feeling particularly generous. It's, it's not just something that we do when it's convenient, but this mission, this exponential life that God has, has called us to is something that each of us can do in our own particular way, at our own particular age, with our own particular sets of gifts and passions. So what, it, what that means is, is there's not really an opportunity for any of us to escape the mission if we pay attention to what God is is doing in our, in our lives and around us. In fact, this text that was read for us just a moment ago from the Gospel of Mark is another example of how this exponential living works itself out. In fact, this text, this story of the feeding of the 5,000, is a, is a pretty familiar story for most of us. I mean, you've probably read it many times since you were a kid. And Mark, in his characteristic way, doesn't waste too much time on the sort of the flowery details of the text, he tells the story straight, because that's what Mark does. And as Jesus and his disciples are trying to escape the pressures of ministry, uh, as the crowds are growing around them, uh, they, they need to, to manage these needs as best they can, but they also need to get away from the needs. So in this text, we discover right before the passage that was read for us, that they jump into a boat, they go across the lake, only to have those same crowds with those same needs um, follow them, and, and some of them even ran ahead of them to get there before they got there. Mark tells us that Jesus looked on the crowds and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They, they were so desperate for a shepherd to lead and, and to teach them, they were willing to forego their dinner. Now, who of us would be willing to do that? Forgo their dinner just to hear Jesus teach. And, and the pragmatic thinking disciples, they, they, they looked out over this massive crowd, and they looked at their watches, and they pulled Jesus aside and they said, Hey, look at Jesus, it's getting really late. 
Um, we're out in the middle of nowhere. The nearest grocery store is an hour's walk from here. We better wrap this thing up and let folks get home so they can make their own dinners and get on with their evenings. And Jesus smiled, and he looked at the disciples, and he said, you give them something to eat. Now, perhaps it was Peter, maybe it was John, who, who guffawed at Jesus and said, where are we going to get the money to feed this many people. Maybe it was another disciple who, who spoke up at this point and said, Jesus, you know, I, I appreciate your interest in showing hospitality. I'm all for that. But don't you think it would be best if we sent them on their way before it gets too late? And Jesus would have none of this practical nonsense. His last instructions to the disciples hung there in the air like, Humidity on an August day someplace in the deep south. Then Jesus asked the most most obvious question of all, does anyone have any idea how much food we have in this crowd? And there's kind of this silence, because nobody knew. So he said, go and see. Go and see. Don't give me your excuses, Jesus says, of why we can't do what we need to do until you've done the work to find out what we have to work with. Go and see. Don't discount the possibility that God's provision may exceed your expectations until you've done an inventory and know what's available. Go and see. Well, during the course of this uh, sermon series, we have tried to present you with a picture of some of the need in the world, both in our community, in our city, in the state of Alaska, in the world, in the place called Democratic Republic of Congo. And the reason why we've done that is because we want you to go and see. Because I believe, just like Jesus in this passage, that if we choose to be, be unaware of, of the extent of the need around us, we can live a pretty happy-go-lucky life uh, for as long as we happen to be here, just by kind of keeping it at arm's length. And I think one of the challenges of being a Christian in our day, a uh, follower of Jesus in our day, is when we fail to sort of go and see the need. It's a, it's a, it, what happens when we, when we fail to, to do that is we lose touch with the needs of the world. Well, the disciples did go and see, and they came back to Jesus with some bad news. We've got five loaves of bread, and we've got a couple of fish for good measure. Surely Jesus would, would recognize at this point sort of the absurdity of his request and instruct the disciples at this point to send the people on back to their own homes because there's no way they're going to be able to cover all those folks. But you see, what this text is really about, it's a, it's a distribution problem. It's not a resource problem. Jesus could have sent them home, but he didn't do this. Instead, Jesus instructed his disciples to, to set the, the people down in smaller groups to increase the ease of distribution, I think. And before they distributed the food, Jesus took the bread and he did what he always did. He blessed it. And he did the same with the fish. And then he instructed his disciples to distribute the food to the crowds. And the disciples did that. And in the very next verse, Mark describes the most significant point of this text. 
And it's this. They all ate and were satisfied. In spite of all of their reservations, in spite of their inability to really know what they had to work with, they all ate and they were all satisfied. First, of course, they took stock of what they had. They did an inventory. And once they understood what they had to work with, they gave it to Jesus. They gave it to Jesus to bless. And bless it, Jesus did. Then they distributed the five loaves and the two fishes to the gathered crowd and all of them ate and were satisfied amazing it's a miracle and when everyone had eaten their full the disciples collected all the leftovers and to their feeble-minded amazement there were 12 baskets of food left over what began as an exercise in futility ended as a miraculous feeding They took stock of what they had. They gave the resources that they had over to Jesus. Jesus blessed it and multiplied it so that the entire crowd was blessed by this one small act of faithfulness. This is what exponential living looks like. This is the way that God uses our gifts for the sake of the kingdom. Well, there are really two miracles in this text. There's the miracle of the moment, and there's the miracle of God's uh, sustaining provision. The first miracle is when Jesus takes the resources and he multiplies them so that the crowds can be fed in that moment. That, that's a miracle. That's the miracle of the moment, or at least what I'm calling the miracle of the moment. This is the miracle that most of us already know about in our lives at one point or another. This is the miracle that when we pray for God to intervene in some sort of miraculous way, this is the miracle that we're often looking for, right? The miracle of the moment. God, if, if you can just help me with this final exam, I promise I will not neglect to study ever again. Any of you in school ever prayed that prayer? Don't raise your hand. God, if you could just help us out of this jam just this once, we will never doubt your love or provision again. God, I need a miracle if I'm going to get out of this train wreck of a life that I'm living right now. Jesus is no stranger to miracles of the moment. There are plenty of times when that's exactly how Jesus responds to our prayers. He sees the immediate need and he responds. The blind beggar wants to see and Jesus does what? He restores his sight. The disciples are gripped in fear in a little boat on a big lake in the middle of a storm. And what does Jesus do? He calms the storm. You see, Jesus is, is not unfamiliar with the miracle of the moment. And there's nothing wrong with miracles of the moment, but they are not the only kind of miracles that Jesus is interested in. There's also the miracle of God's sustaining presence. You see, after everyone is fed, there are 12 baskets of food left over. This is the miracle that I'm calling of God's sustaining provision. This is where God may or, or may not answer our prayers the way we expect in the short term 
while in the long term, God supplies our every need. Roxy and I uh, have friends who gave birth to a one-pound premature infant girl named Svea. Good Swedish name for those of you who are Scandinavian. And, and before the birth, there were all kinds of complications in the pregnancy that, that prompted this young mother, our friend, to pray, God, just give me, please, a five-pound baby. Now, for those of you who you know, know about baby and births, um, a five-pound baby is pretty small. But that's what she was praying for. And what she actually did is she gave birth to a one-pound child five months premature. So at the fourth month of gestation, she gave birth to a one-pound baby. The chances of living, uh, that child living are slim at best. They spent the next four months in neonatal intensive care at the Swedish hospital in Seattle, waiting and wondering and hoping that God would give this little girl the strength to survive. When we talked to them after they had been to the doctor for what would have been the actual date of the baby's birth, had she carried the child to full term, you'll never guess how much that little girl weighed on the day of her supposed birth. Anybody want to take a guess? Five pounds. A miracle of God's sustaining provision. There is the miracle of the moment, and there is the miracle of God's sustaining provision. When Jesus fed 5,000 people on that day, he was performing a miracle of the moment for sure. When this little girl survived with a one-pound birth weight, five months premature, that was a miracle for sure. When our marriage is going nowhere fast and all of a sudden, without warning, we experience this unexpected and overwhelming sense of love for our spouse that we haven't had in, in months or if not years, that's a miracle of the moment. See, you get my point. There are two miracles in this text. And we must take great care that we don't get so caught up looking for that Miracle of the moment that we miss the opportunity for God to show us the miracle of His sustaining provision. So this story of the feeding of the 5,000 is about recognizing the resources that are at our disposal. But, it, but it's more than that. It's also... It's also about being willing to, to make those resources available to, to Jesus, no matter how impractical Jesus' request of us might appear. The story of the feeding of the 5,000 is really a story about inventory management, for those of you who are project directors. Knowing what we've got before we make any rash decisions, but more than that, it's also a story about relinquishing what we have for the sake of the kingdom so that God can address our distribution problem. Now, if you have been reading along with many of us the book A Hole in Our Gospel during this sermon series that I've called The Exponential, The Whole Church on a Whole Mission to the Whole World, you have read recently 
And it was a hard chapter about the statistics of mortality and disease and, and lack of clean water and various other obstacles that, that kind of contribute to this complex need of those who are poor. You, you've read that, and, and it's, it's uh, disheartening at, at best. Rich Stearns, who wrote the book, rightly calls this a distribution problem. It's not that the earth is not capable of, of producing enough food to sustain the population that lives here. It's that the food that is produced doesn't get distributed to all the people who need it. This is the same as Jesus looking at his disciples and saying, Go and see. Go and see what we've got and then let me bless it and redistribute it for the sake of the kingdom. You see, church, there are miracles that occur every day in some of the poorest regions of the world. But, but the real miracle is not that a poor child gets fresh water or a mother dying with HIV, HIV, HIV AIDS blesses those around her because of her, her gratitude to God. The real miracle is that God still asks us, what you going to do with what you got? What you going to do with what you got? And so I ask you this morning, which miracle are you looking for? The miracle of the moment that solves your particular problem at the moment, or do you have the courage, do you have the courage to allow God to inventory your resources and say to you, if you give me what you have, I will make sure that many will be blessed. And those of us who have the courage not only to ask, uh, to make our resources available, but those of us who actually do it, Jesus says to us with a smile, I think, don't worry, there will be plenty left over for, for you when I'm fin finished, there always is. As many of you know, Roxy and I have been living in the midst of this, uh, this transitional life uh, for a number of years now. I, it, it, they keep adding up, actually. And as I think I've alluded to in the past, at one point I was seeking to leave pastoral ministry and I got a job working at Sears uh, for minimum wage. And uh, during that time, I received an email from a friend of mine, Pete Ekstrand, who works with Covenant World Mission in, in uh, East Africa. And he asked for Roxy and I to assist two Kenyan uh, pastors as they took seminary classes at a seminary in Nairobi. He sent us this email because he knew we had spent... Uh, four months living there, and he knew that we knew these two pastors. In fact, one of the pastors I had taken a photograph of when I was there, and it turned out to be such a wonderful expression of African joy that I had it blown up and framed, and it was hanging on my wall at the time. Knowing our economic circumstances were tight, I forwarded the request to my wife, thinking to myself, you know, I wish we could help, but... A minimum wage job at Sears doesn't go far enough, really. So I just let it go. And about a week or so later, I got a, uh, Roxy came up to me and she said, I think we should help those pastors. 
And I smiled and I asked, with what? <laughs> and she replied, don't we have some money coming back from our uh, income tax uh, return this year? And I said, yes. H- how much would you like to give them? And without blinking an eye, she said, $2,000. I tried to stifle my guffaw. You see, I was thinking what, the Jesus, what Jesus' disciples were thinking when Jesus said, I think we should feed them. And then I said to her, okay, let's make a commitment to support them over time because I want to make sure that we had a little bit left over for ourselves just in case. And I wrote a note back to Pete Ekstrand and, and, uh, and told him that we would donate $2,000 and thought that that was the end of the conversation. We decided in that moment to give $2,000 of money that we were uh, running pretty close to the line with in order to help two pastors in a Kenya Covenant church uh, get their education. And the irony was is at the time we didn't know how two of our children were going to stay in their colleges uh, because we didn't have the resources to help them. Well, about uh, a month or so later, maybe not even that long, maybe it was just a few weeks, I received an invitation from a friend of mine. He's a, he was a businessman in town to meet for coffee. And, and we had a nice conversation, and he was, he was trying to be as encouraging as he could, knowing about my transition and, and grieving a little bit, knowing that I'd been a pastor for all these years, and now I was kind of uh, trying to get out of the ministry. And as I was about to get up to leave after this conversation, he reached in his pocket and he, and he pulled out a check that was folded in half and he handed it to me and he said, I'm just the messenger. This check is from a few friends of yours who know that this has been a very difficult time for you and want to tell you how much they love you. I opened the check. and It was in the amount of $20,000. Now, if you would have been in Starbucks uh, in Bellevue on that day, you would have seen a grown man blubbering and weeping and wiping tears from his eyes. And you've probably already done the math on this, but let me help you if you haven't. $2,000, the amount that we committed to support pastors in Kenya, is exactly 10% of the size of the gift that we had just received from loving friends. I don't, I don't tell you this story to suggest in any way that there is a direct relationship between what we give and the blessings that we receive. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that. Roxy and I were content and, and even delighted to give from our modest resources without any expectation that anything would come along later that, that other than the joy that we had giving. That, that was the reason why we give. The reason that I'm telling you this story is because I believe that it speaks to the heart of what God wants to do in all of our lives, regardless of what our circumstances are. God wants us to be willing to give our resources away, no matter how small or how large. And in so dealing, Jesus wants to bless others for the sake of the kingdom. Jesus wants us to go and see what we've got. Offer it to Him so that He may bless it and distribute it so that others may eat and be satisfied. And in the end, I believe that we will, all of us who 
elect to do that will be blessed by the leftovers. We always are. So let me ask you one last time. What are you going to do with what you got? Are you among the practical disciples who say to Jesus, it's getting late, we better get the crowds back to their homes so that they can eat? When you should be saying, here's what I have, Jesus, to offer. Break it and bless it so that others might get to what it means to be blessed by you. If you want to know what it looks like to live an exponential life, we need to get to this place, folks. If we want to understand what real generosity looks like, then we must stop delaying. And then, and only then, we will see what God can do. Let's pray. For some of us here today, God, the, the notion that living an exponential life has something to do with how we respond to the resources that you've given us is a new idea. And for those of us who are chewing on this, this hunk of bread for the first time, I pray that you will help us to recognize that a life that is lived with open hands is, a, uh, is filled with a lot more joy and serendipity than a life that's lived in fear and closed off to the opportunities that you give us to give ourselves away. There are also some people here, God, who know exactly what I'm talking about. They've, they, not, they, they don't even uh, necessarily agree with this. They've been living this kind of life for a long, long time. And I thank you for their witness to the rest of us that it's actually possible to expand ourselves beyond what, what we even think or believe. And then probably for the most of us, God, on this Memorial Day weekend, we're thinking about uh, barbecues and we're thinking about lost loved ones and we're thinking about a variety of other things. And the last thing we intended to hear coming to church on, on this day was a sermon that called to the very core of who we are. But you've done it again. And so my prayer for all of us, no matter what situation we find ourselves in, is that you would move us from the place that we're at to the next right step so that we might begin to trust you more and see your miraculous provision in our lives as well as for the people around us. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.